Let's go to Jim on the roof and go around church. Let me pray. Gracious, loving Father, we pray now that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit, that we would open up heaven's door and help us to see the very throne room and that we might get great comfort and inspiration from this. But we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the COVID-19 pandemic is causing many people to experience anxiety. And I wonder if maybe that's you. Perhaps you're feeling anxiety about your health. And this, when you walk into a place with a whole lot of other people, do you feel anxious about whether or not you're going to catch this horrible virus? Or maybe you're feeling anxious about your wealth. Have you been stood down from work? Or, or maybe have you had a reduction in the number of hours? Or maybe you're feeling anxious simply because you're starved of human contact. It could well be that you've decided to self-isolate. Maybe you're an older age bracket person and you think, I just need to stay away from people who might infect me. And it can be really hard to be on your own. There are lots of reasons why you might be feeling anxiety at the moment, and let me say it's normal. But one of the things that can help us as we deal with our anxiety, as our corporate anxiety, is to have something to look forward to. And that is what I want to give you this morning. It's not that I'm going to say that you can look forward to international travel, well, that'll be nice, or that you might look forward to a strong economy, we're looking forward to that returning, nor that we might look forward to a vaccine or a cure for COVID-19, certainly want that. Or even just the fact that you can, looking forward to coming together in this church where there'll be more than just four of us. I'm looking forward to that as well. But there's something I want to encourage you to look forward to more than anything else. And that is I want you to look forward to the hope of the new creation. The hope of the new creation. So there's nothing better to look forward to than this. There's nothing better to hope for. There's nothing better at all. And this is what we see in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. We are greatly privileged today to be looking at this. And I'm so pleased you've joined us. Because here we see the very throne room of God. It begins with chapter 4 verse 1. As John says, Then I, as I looked, I saw a door standing open in heaven, and the same door I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. The author is John the Apostle. He's one of Jesus' closest companions. And in the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, we saw that what has begun is a weird and wonderful vision. Lots of weird things have been happening. We've seen animals, we've seen white hair, fiery eyes, a voice like a waterfall and a sword out of Jesus. Lots of different weird things. And there are weird numbers and animals and colours. It's because it's a special type of writing that was really well known in the first century, especially to the Jews and to the Christians, and that is it's called apocalyptic writing. It's a weird way of writing because it's a way that tries to describe something that's almost indescribable. And it also functions as a bit of a code language, which is really important when it comes to being able to cope with oppression and persecution under the face of a person who is wanting to try and smash you out, which is what was happening with the emperor in the first century. Well, it begins with a door that is open in heaven. Through that door is going to be the most amazing and overwhelming thing that John will ever see. 
and it begins with the sound of a trumpet. There were often trumpets at very significant times when there's royalty, you know, da 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 that kind of thing. But also, when, when God gave us the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20, there was a sound of a trumpet. It, it's a fairly normal kind of thing, and that is what we have. And the second half of verse 1 says, Come up here, and I will show you what must happen after this. It's forward-looking. They're in that moment of difficulty. And John is told by Jesus, I want to show you something that is going to happen. And not only that it's, it's going to happen in the future, but it's definitely going to happen. It's not something we hope might happen. It's something that is certain to happen. What it is, above all, is a forward-looking vision. It's a vision that they're looking forward to. It's sometime in the future. Now, remember, the book of Revelation was written at a time when uh, it was in the first century from a specific man to seven specific churches. To understand the book of Revelation, we've got to see it in its first century context. And then we've got, when we've got our head around that context, it's then that we can in, apply it to us in the 21st century. And that's just the same as the rest of the Bible, isn't it? That is the case here. But back then, 20 centuries ago, they were looking forward to this time. And we, in the 21st century, are still looking forward to this time. But it is sooner than ever. And then verse 2, we read that instantly, I was in the Spirit... And I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. What have we got there? We've got a throne in heaven. Who sits on thrones? Royalty, power, the king, the queen. That's what we've got right here. And do they then get a description? Does John get describe what he does? He describe the, the king as being comforting or terrifying or assuring or unnerving? Well, it kind of skips that point, goes straight on to verse 3 and says, The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones, like jasper and carnelian, and the glow of an emerald circled his throne like a rainbow. We're not told anything about the person at this stage. We're just told that there's this glow of beautiful colours. The kind of, uh, kind of precious stones that you might have on an expensive wedding ring or eternity ring or a necklace or something like that. But the glow is so bright, it's overwhelming for them. And that's what they have here. It is beautiful and brilliant. We're sort of used to seeing colours like that at night because we've got things like LCD screens, like here, and right in front of you on your little device, on your TV. But in the first century, they didn't have anything quite like that. And so it was the beauty of beautiful stones that would bring that rich colour out to them. And the beauty of something else, a rainbow. What does a rainbow mean to you? Well, when I see a rainbow, I see the glorious colours that are kind of almost impossible to get our heads around. And after a big cloudy day and a big downpour, we get to see the rainbows. But today, the, uh, the idea of a rainbow often has been uh, to conjure up ideas related to the LGBTQI plus movement. It's been ad adopted by that movement. So sometimes the rainbow refers to that. But for Christians, people of the Bible, we, we think of the rainbow as, as reminding us of the flood of Noah. And at the end, when the rain stopped, the rainbow came out and it was a promise from God that I'm not going to wipe out all of humanity again. I'm going to show grace and mercy. So even here in the throne room of God at this time, with all these colours everywhere, there's the colour of the rainbow, which reminds us of God's mercy, of God's grace. That even though we do not deserve it, he shows us kindness. And that's the message through and through. 
But now we zoom back a bit more and we see not just one throne, but 25 in total. So we have 24 thrones surrounded him and 24 elders sat on them. They were all clothed in white and had gold crowns on their heads. So there's a lot of authority there. There's a lot of thrones. What does the number 24 mean in all of this? Well, I, well, there's lots of theories. The one I like the most that I think makes the most amount of sense is you've got the 12 tribes of, of Israel in the Old Testament. They're the ones who each have a head of the tribes. They're the rulers. They're all the people of God. And then in the New Testament, you've got the 12 apostles. They're the ones who are leading with Jesus and have that special apostolic role. And I think you've got 12 plus 12 equals 24 that, that shows the Old Testament, New Testament, throughout the whole Bible, throughout the whole of God's salvation history, we've got all of them together sitting around the throne at, as one. I think that's what it's talking about there. And which really reminds us that his rule will unite people throughout history. His rule will unite people all throughout history of different ages. And we see that they're clothed in white, which shows holiness and victory. And they also have golden crowns, which shows royalty and power. But what happens next? Well, verse 5, suddenly... From the throne came flashes of lightning and the rumble of thunder. Oh, I love to see thunder and lightning. It's wonderful. It's an amazing display of power. Uh, often we see these kind of thunder and lightning, like when the Ten Commandments were issued by God. And right there, we've got this awesome experience, this awesome sound, this awesome light. The pyrotechnics all go off. Plus, Fire, burning fire. Verse 5b, in front of the throne were seven torches with burning flames. This is the sevenfold spirit of God. When it talks about a torch, it's not talking about your little one with a couple of batteries in it that you click and shine around. Um, it's actually, it's not that kind of torch. It, it's more like the Olympic torch. You know, the big thing that you hold, it's got a flame coming out of the top. It, it's a lot more like that. And it's a sevenfold so it's talking about the number seven in the in, the old, in uh, Revelation is talking about perfection, completeness. It's saying the complete, perfect spirit of God is present there. So we've got God on the throne, we've got the spirit there present amongst them, and it's all happening there. And it's a fresh reminder that in all of this, the spirit is present and active. What does the spirit do? What does he do for us? The spirit convicts us, he converts us, and he comforts us. I'm so thankful to God for the Holy Spirit because I tell you, without the Holy Spirit, I wouldn't know God. I wouldn't know his love. I wouldn't know who he is. I wouldn't know who I am. And I wouldn't experience that unity with you and all other Christians in the body of Christ. And I tell you, we are a church that is full of the Holy Spirit. You know why? Because we keep talking about Jesus. Jesus is the one that the Spirit loves to talk about. But then after this, we see in verse 6a that in front of the throne was a shiny sea of glass, sparkling like crystal. And when you think of surf reports, if you like to keep up to date with what's happening with the surf, you, you probably want to have, uh, uh, you know, you want to have a couple of high numbers. You don't want to see zeros and against the swell and against all that. You want to have something you can surf. You want to have some action. But in the first century, you want to have the quietest, calmest surf you could possibly have. You want to have a mirror-like sea. Why? Because the sea is the place of fear, of terror. So when they're in the boat, there's a storm, they're scared they're going to die. Jesus comes and he calms the winds and the waves and they say, wow, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Here in this picture is a perfect 
laps, a perfect calm. It's mirror-like waters. And when you're in a time of crisis, when you've got fear and adrenaline in your bones, to see that there is this lake that is completely calm. What a beautiful sound. What a beautiful sight. And that's what John sees as he comes into the very throne room of God. He sees there a picture of peace, a picture of serenity. And if you are feeling that unnerved, that, that, that feeling in your guts that turns your stomach as you think about the future, I want you to stop and think about this throne room. And I want you to see perfectly still waters and find peace and serenity there. Well, now we see some other creatures around the throne. We see in verse 6b that in the centre and around the throne were four living beings, each covered with eyes, front and back. Uh, these are four living creatures and they've got eyes all over them. Now, why do they have eyes all over them? It's to signify that they are all seeing. They can see everywhere. Eyes on the back of their head, front of their head, their knees, their arms, their elbow, everywhere. All seeing, all knowing. And what else? Well, verse 7, we see that the first of these living beings was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a human face. And the fourth was like an eagle in flight. These are creatures from God and they all have different aspects. It seems probably that the lion is the one who's like the king and then you've got the ox who's the one of strength and then the human is the one who's wise and the eagle is the fast one, the swift one. That seems to me to be the best way to understand them. They are four awesome qualities of created beings, four awesome qualities of those who have been created by God. And they've got lots and lots of wings on them. Verse 8a, each of these living beings had six wings and their wings were covered all over with eyes inside and out. Six wings? Where have we heard of creatures with six wings before? It's Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah 6, right there Isaiah is in the throne room of God and he's like, wow, it's the same thing. And what was in Isaiah 6? All these creatures with six wings. And what have we got here? We've got in, right here in chapter 4 of Revelation, we've got all these creatures with six wings. Same thing, isn't it? And they are there. And even uh, with, with, with these wings, we can see that they are covered with eyes inside and out, all seen. What do these amazing four creatures do? Because they are the smartest. They are the, the, the strongest, the wisest, the fastest, the greatest four creatures of all, you would imagine. And what do they do? Do they say, look at me. They put on their medals and say, I am the greatest. Not for a second. Instead, they, we read verse 8b, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. These awesome creatures just can't stop talking about the Lord Almighty. They don't talk about themselves. They could, but they talk about God. They are focused and obsessed with God, completely obsessed. You know what it's like when you're obsessed with something, you just can't sleep because you're thinking about it. You wake up in the middle of the night thinking about it and you spend all day with it. Uh, right now, uh, we are kind of focused on our little screens, aren't we? 
Uh, there was a time when we'd say, get off our screen, we need more time away from our screens. The problem is that if you throw your screens away, you can't come to church. <laughs> it's, a, it's a change, but we're kind of obsessed by these little things for a good reason. But we have this obsession with this and obsession with other things, hearing about what the statistics are of COVID-19 and all this sort of... These four creatures are obsessed by God. And what is it that they're obsessed about in particular? They're obsessed about his holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Uh, they don't love that he... Uh, what they love about him more than anything is the fact that he has purity, that he has sinlessness. They are God's greatest aspects and the things that he cares about the most of all. See, in our society, we, we often like it when someone's a bit crude. We laugh at crude jokes. We laugh when things are, things are, you know, the people are not pure and, and in that way. We like people to be a bit rough around the edges. And so, yet with these creatures here, they are just wanting to focus in on the holiness of God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they talk about how he is around forever and ever. What do they say? The one who always was, who is, and who is to come. They talk about his past, about his present, and about his future. Uh, why are they doing that? Well, I think that there's, in a time of uncertainty, it is good for us to connect with things that have been around for a long time and things that have deep roots in history or institutions and organisations that have been around for hundreds and hundreds and even thousands of years are ones that we can sort of have some confidence and assurance in. Uh, it actually seems to me that the newer generation, so those of you who are perhaps under 30, uh, you actually like some traditions for this very reason, I wonder. And that's why the, the Gen Xs and Boomers and Busters and whatever, we're con confused at interest in things like vinyl records and, and, and the royal family. Um, but when they've got this time of uncertainty and, and connecting it with something that is old is a good thing. Connecting him with the one who was and is and who is to come. Because we're reminded again that God always has and always will be with us. He's not some sort of blow-in. He's not some sort of new cure that's just been invented for the problems of the world. He's always been around. And that's a, that's a terrifically comforting thing, isn't it? And then, and these times of amazing moments around God's throne, they, we read here, verse 9, that whenever the living beings give glory and honour and thanks to the one sitting on the throne, that's the one who lives forever and ever, in case you forgot, the 24 elders fall down and worship the one sitting on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, you got that, and they lay their crowns before the throne, and they say, which we'll get to in a moment, but you see, what they have done is they have the physical posture of complete worship and adoration and submission. These 24 rulers are the ones who are genuinely ruling the universe. And yet what do they do? They lay down their crowns before the one who is on the throne in the centre. The picture of a coronation, the, the, the idea of a person sitting on the throne for the first time. I don't know if you've seen the footage of, of our Queen when she was, had the coronation. And that moment where the crown is placed upon her head for the first time. It's a very moving moment. And then for the queen to take that off and put it down on the ground before another throne and prostrate herself right down and bow before the one who is on that throne. It's a little unnerving in a sense, but 
It shows you the power of that throne. Praise God that our Queen does bow down and worship the one who is seated on the throne. We can pray for all our other rulers around the world as well. But the 24 that are in the hub room there of the throne room of God have all done just this, laid down their throne. It's a symbol there of submission to the true ruler. They're showing genuine submission. And they're not just doing that, they're saying this. They're saying, verse 11, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and they exist because you created what you pleased. Uh, He is worthy of all glory and honour. Why? Because he created all things. God made everything, and therefore he rules everything. This is really important. This is why this is one of the the key memory verses in the two ways to live uh, tract, the uh, outline of the gospel. It's because it starts off by saying that God created and therefore he is the right ruler of the world. See, some people might say, oh, look, you can have your religion stuff. You can follow God or Jesus or whatever if you like. For me, I'm just going to follow the universe or I'll follow myself or whatever. Now that's kind of okay if no one really ruled, no one really created everything and it just existed out of nowhere and people invented their own gods. But God, the one on the throne here, really exists and he really created the universe and therefore he really is the one that you need to bow down to. And right here this morning, if you've tuned into our live stream and you're not quite sure where you stand with God, I've got to tell you right now, you have got to bow down before him. If you bow down for yourself, you keep your crown on, it is going to end up in horrible, horrible grief for you. And that's why you must follow the kings on these thrones and bow down before the one who loves us. But there's more of that coming shortly. Well, we now turn to chapter 5, verse 1. And we read here that I saw a scroll in the right hand of the one who was sitting on the throne. There was writing on the inside and the outside of the scroll, and it was sealed with seven seals. Now, this is really interesting here. We don't, at this stage, hear anything more about the one who's seated on the throne. We've got colours, we've got rainbows and all that stuff. But we do have here the actual hand of the one seated there, and in it is a scroll. And that scroll is very significant. It is sealed with seven seals. It's a scroll that we'll we'll understand in a moment that when it is fully open, then all the judgments of the universe will be undone and revealed to everybody. And then finally, the end of this world will, will happen and the new creation will come, which we long for. And there's an excitement and anticipation, but it's all sealed up. And that's a big problem because we read in verse 2 that I saw a strong angel who shouted with a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals on this scroll and open it? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll and read it. And that's a really big problem. We have here, it's almost like you you can imagine it today that a, a scientist receives an email from a random person and says, in this attachment to this email is the cure to COVID-19. It's the exact way in which you can save millions of lives. And they get that and they try, they double click on it and it says, enter your password. You think, password? What's the password? Don't have a password. 
You got a password? I try. And they ask everybody in the world, does anybody know this password? Nobody's got the password. Because here is the cure and no password. See, with this scroll here, it's almost like we are locked out without the password. The scroll is there in the hand of the one seated on the throne. But it's sealed up and we're told there is no one anywhere, no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth who is able, who is worthy to open up the scroll. How does John respond to this? We read here, Then I began to weep bitterly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and read it. I I get that. It's so much excitement and adrenaline and energy. The scroll is there and right there in his hands and no one is able to open it up. And John's response is to weep, weeping like he's at a funeral of a loved one. It's an anticlimax to the extreme. But, verse 5, one of the 24 elders said to me, Stop weeping. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the heir to David's throne, has won the victory. There's a really important breakthrough. One of these 24 elders says, there is somebody who can open up the scroll. There is someone who is worthy. And he describes him as the Lion of Judah, the heir to David's throne. In other words, he's describing the Messiah. The Messiah can open the scroll. The Messiah can open the scroll. That is so good. No need to weep because the Messiah can open the scroll. Why? Because he has won the victory. Can you see that there? It is won. It's not like there's a future battle. It's like, well, Jesus is sort of in prime position and we'll think that he's probably going to win over Satan and we'll give it a good go and in the blue corner on the ring. The battle is over. The victory is won. And because of the victory, the Messiah is able, is worthy to open up that scroll. Praise God. This should bring us great comfort. This is why Jesus, as he's hanging there on the cross in that tragic day, can say it is finished. And that is why we call it Good Friday. Because because of Good Friday, Jesus is now worthy to open up the scroll. The good news in all of this, in this time of uncertainty, of fear, of anxiety, is the fact that Jesus has won. The future has been won by Jesus. Make no mistake, the future has been won by Jesus, and that is good news. But still there is pain now in this present time of tribulation. The time between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus is going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. But the good news is the battle is won. And because of that, We just need to wait until the scroll is opened. And then when it is opened, the end will be here. And there will no longer be this time of tribulation. We read this in verse 5b. Jesus, he is worthy to open the scrolls and its seven seals. It will be the Messiah. It will be the Christ. It will be Jesus. 
And so now, what do we expect to have? We expect to have the great, powerful Jesus walking in the Lion of Judah. What do you expect he looked like? Kind of that wonderful scene in 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 the uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, when Aslan comes in and is broken up from the t- from the the table and stood up and come back to life. And, that's what we expect to see. And what do we see? A lamb. And not just any lamb, a lamb that looked as if it had been slaughtered. But it was now standing between the throne and the four living beings and among the 24 elders. It's not a lion, it's a lamb. It's not a lion, it's a lamb. This is weird. I mean, you could maybe expect it to be a lamb that's one of those really powerful lambs, you know, the ones, the rams that you might see at the Easter show with the really big horns and they're big and strong and large. You think, you know, that's a, that's a manly lamb there. It's not even that. It's a little lamb that's been slashed, that the white is red, blood, slaughtered. It, it's kind of a view from an abattoir. And this is the one who is worthy to open up the scroll? This, this disfigured, bloody, mangled, beaten up lamb? Worthy to open up the scrolls that no one else is able to? That is true. Because the lamb is the one who has been slaughtered for us. And we'll come to more of that in a moment. But there's more description about the lamb because the lamb is, well, a bit apocalyptic. No surprises there. We read that it had seven horns and seven eyes, which represent the sevenfold spirit of God that is sent out into every part of the earth. So it's a bit of a weird looking lamb. Seven horns, seven eyes. What do they mean? Well, we should be old hat at this by now. Seven stands for completeness, perfection. A horn. So strength, eyes, is knowledge and wisdom. So what do we got here? We've got a slaughtered lamb that has perfect power and perfect wisdom. And you, you can say, worthy is a lamb who has power and wisdom, but you can also see it. And that's what the apocalyptic writing does for us right here. And you then see what happens when the lamb steps forward. We read in verse 7 that he stepped forward and took the scroll from the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. The lamb alone is able to take the scroll. The lamb is the only one who can actually take the scroll. And that brings about an absolute roar of excitement. Verse 8, and when he took the scroll, the four living beings and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they held gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of God's people. They all fall down before the Lamb. And they have a harp, which is kind of the musical instrument that you were using in the time of the Psalms in the the temple. So it's a, a time of singing, a time of praise. And what's more, there's incense there. That, that was often something that was in the temple. It was a smoke that would, I mean, it was likely to go into those shops that sell Balinese stuff, you know, you've got the incense smell and the smoke that's around there. But, but this, but a whole lot more than that. They light it up and it would fill up like a smoke machine and it would smell a special smell. They've got these bowls of incense there. And what is it that is in those bowls? What do they represent? 
What is the most valuable thing? The thing that they cherish the most out of everything. What is it? It's our prayers. The most valuable thing is our prayers. I think we often underestimate the power of prayer. We kind of think, well, if you can't get an answer, then pray. Well, don't give up. I suppose the last resort is to pray. No, it's the first resort. None of this kind of get off your knees and do something. No, it's get down on your knees and do something. You see, the power of prayer, when you see heaven opened and you look through into the throne room of God, it is there that you understand the true power of our prayers. And friends, this is a rebuke to me. It's an encouragement to me. And I take it that it might be for you as well. The prayer is, if we are under, undervalue it, we underestimate it, but not in the throne room of God. It is the very thing that if you needed to transport from one town to another, you'd get an armoured car because it's so valuable. They are our prayers. Well, we now see that they sing to this slaughtered lamb. Verse 9, they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. Everyone knows that it is the lamb who is worthy. How do we know that he's worthy? What is it about the lamb that makes him worthy to take the scroll? Uh, Is it the strength of his horns? Is it the wisdom from his eyes? You know what it is? Verse 9, for you were slaughtered. It's his wounds. It's your, you were slaughtered. And your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and nation and people and nation. Every tribe and language and people and nation are brought there because of the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus ransomed people for God. The blood of Jesus ransomed us. It's his slaughtered body that took the punishment from God. And why? It's because when he was slaughtered, it was as though the knife was cut from his father to his heart. And he took upon himself the wounds that we deserved. He was slaughtered as a ransom for you and for me, for every tribe, every language, every people, every nation. We've got here the ultimate United Nations, don't we? Everyone gathered there, ransomed by Jesus for God. And now the result is, verse 10, you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God, and they will reign on the earth. We who have been ransomed are now the rulers. We will be the ones who will rule, who will judge, as we are brought in there into the throne room of God. We are all priests in God's kingdom. And we will reign there. And we get now not just the 24, and not just the 24 plus the four animals. What do we have here? We have got the biggest praise time ever. (laughs) Listen to this. Then I looked again. And I heard the voices of thousands and millions of angels around the throne and of the living beings and the elders. And they sang in a mighty chorus, Worthy is the Lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. 
You are worthy to receive all those things. The Lamb is worthy to be worshipped because of his wounds. He is worthy to open up the scroll because of his blood. The Lamb is worthy to be worshipped. And so verse 13 and 14, I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea. They sang, blessing and honour and glory and power belong to the one sitting on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living beings said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped the Lamb. And that is the end of chapters 4 and 5. This massive worship service gathered around Jesus saying, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy, you are worthy. Friends, this is what we're looking forward to. I can't wait for a cure to COVID-19. I'm looking forward to normal life resuming and our economy being healthy and, and all these other things. And I'm really looking forward to you guys being with me in this building right here. That's going to be special when we're able to do that really soon, hopefully. But you know what we need to look forward to above all, above everything else? We need to look forward to heaven. We need to look forward to what is seen here. This picture of power, this picture of might, this picture of worthy is the Lamb. Because that is the greatest thing of all. You know, we here in the West are not experiencing a great persecution for our faith. But there are people in other parts of the world today who are. Who are getting beaten up, who are getting killed for following Christ. They are in the great tribulation right now. We, well, our tribulation is this effect of this COVID-19 coronavirus and it's pretty hard for us it's hard for the whole world whether it's persecution whether it's pandemic and plague you know what we need to have this big view of heaven this is what we need to be looking forward to because the greatest sight for all is the bloodied slaughtered lamb who is worthy to open up the scrolls. His blood has ransomed people for glory from every tribe and language and people and nation. And all the people said, Amen. Let me pray. We thank you, our Heavenly Father, for this wonderful picture of heaven. And we pray that in our times of uncertainty and doubt and anxiety, that you would open our eyes to heaven that you would bring to us this picture of your throne room and give us this sure hope of your great and loving rule. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Jamaloo and the Lane Church.